welcome to Talk With Me. This is Marcia Epstein in Lawrence, Kansas on lawrencehits.com. And Talk With Me is a fun part of my day. What can I say? I'm a social worker. I work in suicide prevention and help people with other kinds of easier life transitions as opposed to the crises that get people thinking about suicide or having been bereaved by suicide. Um, I have fun. I enjoy walking in nature. That's my little... (laughs) It's true, though. It's very true, though. Uh, that's that's my place to be outside and to look at the clouds and the leaves and notice the scents and hear the birds and whatever critters are scrambling around. Occasionally, it's a snake. I'm not a snake person, but um, so far, so good. I encourage people to get out in terms of literally get outside, experience the things that your senses will notice the smells, the feels on your face, if that's the only part of you that's exposed because it's so cold, you know, it's, it's just beautiful. And, and I know in this part of the country, the skies are exceptionally beautiful. Um, The skies, the clouds, the the different shapes and, and patterns and just images, imaginations that you can make of the combinations of clouds and tree branches and things like that. I, I think that's a really good thing. I am certain that we all need breaks from the other kinds of noise in our heads at times. We all need breaks from the things that we're reading and hearing on news, et cetera, whether it's TV, radio, podcasts, you know, social media. We all need breaks from the intensity, and we all need to know what's going on in the world. So balance is a key thing. And again, for me, that getting outside time is a really good place. Another thing that I love is I love to get out and go to poetry readings. <laughs> Imagine that. Um, I had uh, the the privilege of being with some really wonderful poets recently at the Raven Bookstore, hosted by Jameson Bales. But unfortunately, Jameson was not able to be part of the evening and a kind of emergency had come up. And so he allowed me the honor of introducing those poets. And it was a blast to be there and listen, to to be part of that. And I say that because my guest this very day for Talk With Me is a poet who will be part of a huge event that Jameson Bales and Jason Reberg are curating at Prospero's Bookstore in Kansas City, Missouri during National Poetry Month. And if you didn't already know, National Poetry Month is April. And the weekend of April 21st through 23rd, 2017, there's going to be this amazing collaborative weekend with poets from all parts of the country. Um, It'll be amazing, wonderful. For many people, it'll be the first time they've actually been in the same space together. You know, they may have conversations in a variety of ways, but have not physically been present together. And so it's a blast for everybody who's there performing, everybody who's there listening. And I encourage people, look at Kansas City Poetry Throwdown Facebook page, or that same label on Spartan Press's website, and check out what's going on there. One of the performing poets will be my guest today, who is Daniel Crocker. Welcome, Daniel. Hi, thank you. 
I'm glad to do this. I'm excited because we have lots of great things to talk about. But I always start by asking, inviting my guests to say some things about themselves. So tell us a little bit about you. Well, I'm a poet, like you said, from uh, Cape Girardeau, Missouri. I've uh, basically lived in Missouri my entire life. I grew up in a small town here. It was an old lead mining town, but the mine's gone. Uh, so now it's just kind of a decrepit, rundown place. Um, I've moved around a little bit, Michigan, down south uh, for jobs, school, whatever. But I'm glad to be back here teaching full time and hopefully I'll retire from here. So. And you teach what kinds of level, what kinds of classes? Uh, I teach at the university level. I teach uh, mostly writing, creative writing, poetry, uh, some mm -hmm. composition. Cool. So you get to help people move forward, some of whom are doing it, thinking it's just for fun. And maybe 40 years later, they get back to really doing it. And some people who are going to continue and consider themselves writers, which is really exciting. It is exciting. And it's true. I get a big mix of students, some who uh, want a credit and some who are really interested in poet poetry and want to be poets. Uh -huh. uh, those are the students who I give the lecture. It's great that you want to be a poet, but don't expect it to make you rich or famous, um, <laughs> which I think is pretty good advice for any poet. Do it because you love it. Yeah, I think that's true. And I will say, unfortunately, I think it's true for, for most artists that, that we aren't in a culture that values artists, whether it's word or dance or, you know, whatever kinds of performance, painting, sculpture, you know, different media. We don't, we are, we honor a few people really, really, really highly. And most people kind of have to do a day job to have the opportunity to also do their art. That's not quite right, but it's the reality. Huh? You're exactly right, though. In every kind of art, we pick a couple people and we say, these are the artists, these are the people we'll put on the pedestal. Everyone else, yeah. Yeah, that's not a good thing. And, and I'm always an encourager of get out and hear the art that's around you in terms of words, writers, poets. Go out and see things that are going on. Be involved with your local arts community, not only because it's a good cultural thing, but it's a cool community thing. And, and that's where, you know, again, uh, you, you haven't mentioned yet your podcast, but I, I see this huge connection between, as I will say, the kind of people that I know through my work and through the national um, community of people who work in crisis work and suicide prevention, suicide bereavement. I see it, all these same kind of personal characteristics in the people in that community who I really connect with and the people in the arts community who I really connect with because I, I recognize in both people who are really compassionate and open and empathetic and connect with people, really value that you know, there, there's that's different than other people who want to keep things kind of on the surface or kind of boss other people around. You know, that's not what I see in the art community, at least the, the people that I've gotten to know. And so it's been a great gift to, to suddenly have this new doorway into a whole new world of friends. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you're exactly right. I think the glue that holds those two communities together is empathy. If you don't have empathy, you're not going to be a very good artist. 
And if you have a mental illness, whether it's a persistent one like me, or you've just been through some hard times or whatever, it gives you empathy for other people, I think. Uh Yeah. I, I would say that in my, in my hardest times, the people who have always been my friends, family who are most helpful and supportive are ones who've been through hard times too, because they get it, you know, they understand, they're not afraid of it, you know, they don't change the subject when you say <laughs> yeah. something hard has happened. <laughs> and so since you, you threw that out, you said that you're a person who lives with mental illness. What would you like our listeners to know about that? Uh, I'm bipolar. I was only about three months officially diagnosed. Uh, it's something I've suspected for a long time. I've had doctors suggest it before. Uh, when I was getting my PhD, uh, I went to the clinic there for uh, really bad anxiety, which I'd been having since I was 16, probably. Uh, he wanted to try me on Lexapro. I took it. Three weeks later, I was in a complete delusional mania. Uh, so I quit cold turkey, which was not easy. Went back to my doctor and he said, you know, that's a sign that you're probably bipolar. And I was like, no, I don't think so. I've got a degree to finish. Uh, So I put off actually getting any help for a while. Uh Uh, And then a few years ago in my 40s, everything that um, I could handle pretty well before then, whether it was the mood swings, the OCD, anxiety, it just really went into overdrive, which I guess happens, um, happened to me at least. Uh, So I had to go get some help and get on some medication. Mm-hmm. So how are you feeling these days? I'm feeling good. Um, I started on Latuda. I was pretty lucky, I think, and that the first medication I tried works pretty well. Um, I was afraid I was going to be on a medication roller coaster trying this and that, which is a lot of people's experiences. So I count yeah. my blessings on that, that the first medicine I tried is working fairly well. Um, uh-huh. The dosage is going to have to be upped, but uh, we're slowly doing that uh, about 20 milligrams a month. So so basically feeling pretty good. That's good. Feeling pretty good. Yeah. 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 I, I did when I was doing my training and then we'll switch to poetry. But when I did my training, I remember certain people quite a lot. Um, and, and a student who I was working with who did get the diagnosis of an attention disorder was really concerned about medication because his art was stand-up comedy. And he was really concerned about anything that would impact his ability to keep the energy and, and, you know, be that creative person who he is, you know? And so I know that can certainly be one of the many challenges for people uh, in terms of, being able to get the tools that they need that are right for whatever mental health challenges they're dealing with. And and I do see it as a combination of tools in terms of strategies that we learn to do and sometimes therapy and sometimes medication and sometimes all three of those need to be going on, you know. Um, it It is best, I think, when it's a collaboration. But anyway, so so you are this person who's teaching this person. Go ahead and tell people a little about the podcast because that's one of the things I'm I think is so cool. <laughs> well, shortly after I got my diagnosis, um, probably before my medicine was working real well, I decided I and uh, Trump had just uh, we found out he was going to be the president. 
uh, which is worrisome for some people with mental illness because not everyone is lucky enough to have insurance. It can be considered a pre-existing condition. And I wanted to say something. I wanted to do something. I'd had a podcast on my mind for a while anyway. I just didn't know exactly what I wanted to do with it. Um, but the truth is I was probably completely and utterly hypomanic when I came up with the idea and did the first show. <laughs> and now I'm stuck with a podcast, which I love. I enjoy doing it. But, uh -huh. um, you know, so, you get those great ideas sometimes when you're a little manic. Yeah. So <laughs> tell people a little bit about what this podcast is. Well, uh, in general, we talk about mental health. Um, because I'm a poet, I end up talking to a lot of writers about it. And of course, we get off on all kinds of different subjects. We usually start out, we talk a little bit about our mental health, what's going on, and then who knows where to go. It goes into all kinds of di different directions. Uh, you know poets and writers. They have plenty to talk about, about plenty of different subjects. Yeah. Um, well, and again, for me, there there's this big connection. And, and when I first started doing some shows and and really getting to know some of the poets and painters in my own community... I had so many people talk about their art and, and use the phrase, this saved my life, you know, yes. that, that people talked about the process. And so with your writing, with your poetry, what, what does it do for you to create a poem? What's that about for you? Well, it's a great way to process emotions that are too difficult to process other ways sometimes. Um, and also just the act of creating when you're done, when you finish something that you're kind of proud of, uh, even if it's not any good, just finishing something, a project, uh, is really good for me at least. Uh -huh. You know, you can start, if you get into a little depression, you can start getting these feelings of worthlessness or what have I done with my life? And having a nice, complete poem that you think is pretty good is a nice little ego boost, even if uh, it never gets published or no one else seems to like it, I guess. Uh -huh. That's really, I, I like that because I, I think I've talked to people and heard and read and experienced that like creation that might be called crafting, knitting or things like that, even coloring pages, that, that it, that's a really great thing for people to be able to be focused on creating something and, and the finishing part that you just said. I can really see that because in, in our lives, there's so many things that we work on that are that don't really have a clear product or have something that says you are done working on this. It really is nice to have some things that, that have an ending to them and you can go, this is it. I made this thing. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So how long have you been writing? Uh, I've been writing for as long as I can remember. Um, I just, I don't know why I started reading early. I enjoyed it and it was something I wanted to do. Uh, I haven't been writing well for long. <laughs> 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 Maybe since my uh, mid twenties, I started finding my own voice, I guess. Um, uh -huh. But it takes a whole lot of bad writing to get good at it. Uh -huh. Well, think. isn't that true of anything though that we learn? You know? It's true of anything, yeah. <laughs> I'm still really bad at the guitar, but I'm learning. <laughs> oh, I am too. Uh, and I don't think I'll, I don't think I'll ever be good at it, but I like to do it and to relax. I don't plan on playing the shows in front of people, but alone, I like to pick yeah. up. 
audience? Yeah, I'm, I'm like that. I have a friend who'll say, well, do you want it? You know, you could you could do this song with us when we perform. It's like, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, but no. <laughs> so so you play a little guitar and you write, and, and you're saying that you've been writing really forever. And it and I like that again that reminder that that we aren't good at things that we first start you know in general, a few people probably are. I I, I think about um, a friend who's a filmmaker and plays some guitar and we were talking about that and I was mentioning that it's it's really hard for me and he said you know, and that's okay and he said he a, a friend of his told him when he was learning some people got the music and some people don't you know <laughs> it's like I don't. <laughs> I think with music, for sure, you're born with the talent. Music, <laughs> math, chess, I think are the three things you can be born with as a genius. Most really great writers I know um, have written a lot of bad stuff. Uh, and they've read a lot and written a lot. And that's how that's how they've gotten good. It wasn't just naturally in them. Yeah. And I think that's a, an important thing that that people need to remember also that they need to be exposed to other people's writing and and reading is so important. And there's so I mean there's so much access to things you know you get online and you know I, I think it's better personally I'm a big fan of actual books. I'm I'm the biggest fan of having books that I have heard the author read from, you know, I, I love having poetry books and, and I've been at a reading with that person and I've heard that poem in that person's voice, but, but reading is really important. And, and I say that with a laugh because I've, I've known some people who, you know, like they're the ones who go to an open mic and they do their bit and they leave and they don't want to, they don't pay attention to what other people are doing you know they don't they aren't big readers and they aren't really big listeners and it's like this art is something that you need to experience not just have it be in your own head and assume that what you've got coming out onto your page is so wonderful you you need to have some some comparison you need to learn from other people as well and you may have some things to teach other people but <laughs> i i you totally do your that. own <laughs> I get students who want to write poetry or even want to be a poet who say that they don't like to read poetry. And I'm like, you really <laughs> want to be a good poet then. And sure enough, they show me their poem and it's cliched and it's something that other people have already written better. And I'm like, if you read more poetry, you would know that this is kind of well-worn material, material you're treading on here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Did you have a point when you thought I really want to be a poet? That I really want to write poetry, or did it just kind of happen? It's like, oh, I guess that's what I do. <laughs> it kind of happened. I used to write more fiction and poetry, but overall, I considered myself a little bit more of a fiction writer. Um, and I've written some good stories, um, but the poems are always better, no matter how good I thought the fiction was. Uh -huh. And then when I started having a little bit more mental health trouble i couldn't concentrate on fiction long enough to do it very well uh -huh. so i slowly started going to pure poetry and that's i'm pretty much just purely a poet now mm -hmm. well how about sprinkling in some of your poetry now um in addition to us talking about it okay i'll read one uh i don't normally write uh form poems but this is one i kind of wrote on a dare 
Uh, someone asked me to write us, or I needed to write a Sestina, couldn't come up with a topic, and a friend of mine said, well, write about the McRib. Um, <laughs> because we were both kind of obsessed with McRibs at the time. They were out, we were seeing who could eat the most, whatever. Um, <laughs> so it's called Sestina McRib. Um, so That's, Explain to us what a Sestina is. I know it's a certain form. Oh, Sestina is a poem that is in six stanzas. Um, and the ending line of each or the ending word of each line is the same in each stanza, just in different orders. Uh, and then in the last part of the, uh, the Sestina, it's a three line stanza and each line has two of the six end words in it. Did that make sense? I didn't follow it, but maybe I will when I hear your poem. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a complicated form, but the good news is you don't have to count syllable beats or rhyme. So yeah. Okay. It still sounded like the math of poetry. <laughs> it was a mathematician who invented this form. Uh, of course. Ago, uh, hundreds of years ago. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Sestina McRib. When God pulled that bow of bone from Adam, he couldn't have seen this coming. Or maybe he could. They say he sees everything coming. I don't. At least not until it's too late. And now the McRib is back. Two dollars. It's not really a rib. That's the fast one. This boneless gift used to be sloppy, out of control. Lately, its act has come together. This fistful of little problems. I don't want to sound sentimental, but Ronald, he must have wept. How he must have wailed when the McRib was torn from his side. Lonely doesn't touch the lack of it. This missing bone, so long a part of his flesh. This, you said, sauce on your hands, isn't real meat. And later... That half-eaten sandwich tempts me. It's late. You're asleep. I'm drunk. He, God, not Ronald, would deny me this. I eat anyway. Devour it. The McRib. And the bone-beached glaze of the moon doesn't make me feel guilty at all. I do not feel guilty at all. It's too late for that. And of Adam and his lost bone, I wonder if he missed it. Reached for it at night like the rib was there only to find this. This empty pillow, this car full of empty wrappers, don't dwell on it much. Think of the McRib, even now when it's getting late. Try not to think of the way he must have felt, a sack of meat and missing bones. I saw this coming too late. Don't let this lack of bones fool you. Everything is falling apart except the McRib. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> At a poetry slam here, the host, um, Cody Keener, brought a can of spam and passed it around so that people would would write haiku about the spam. <laughs> oh, that is nice. I would love to get <laughs> the poet of food. <laughs> That's a great writing exercise. I'd like to still with her class, just bring in some space. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's an interesting substance, and I hear very popular in Hawaii in a different way. It is. I have not tried it since I was very young, a kid. Uh -huh. uh, I don't remember liking it. Who knows? Maybe I've changed my mind since then. I think they have lots of flavors. I see that. <laughs> I've noticed they do have different flavors of spam now, so... Any kind of Jones you've got, you can get it in a can. <laughs> so, 
So do you do you do little exercises like this with your students? You know, as you were talking about the the spam might be a good one. Are there things like that that are ways that you kind of sort of make them work in different ways? I do sometimes. Yeah, when we're doing in class writing, uh, one of the things I like to instill is that you've got to get the mind of a poet going. Um, and the way to do that is to write a lot. And then eventually you look around and you start seeing everything as a possible poem, um, which helps with students who's like, I can never come up with ideas. I'm like, you're just not thinking about it correctly. So we'll do some in class, uh, anything from writing six random words on the board and saying, okay, make sure these words are in your poem. Uh -huh. um, or we'll read a nice, uh, funny persona poem by someone like Tim Siebels. And I'll say, okay, now, Pick a cartoon character you liked as a kid and write a poem from their point of view, but make it serious. Um, so fun stuff like that. Uh-huh. That's great. What what did you do as your specialty in terms of like your your dissertation? I wrote a collection of short stories. Oh, okay. actually, yeah. Uh -huh. Called Grown Ass Men. <laughs> Uh, which is out. I, I've got it. I finally, I went back to it and did some revising. It's circulating out there in the small presses now. Maybe somebody will pick it up. Uh huh. But we'll see. Uh huh. So you obviously were working, as you said, in other genres. Um, you did. I was expecting that you had focused on poetry, and that isn't the case. So that's that's interesting too, because I, I sometimes I have people who are have guests who whose writing is not poetry but when they actually read segments aloud it sounds just as much like poetry to me as it does you know i realize it's this this work of nonfiction, fiction whatever <coughs> excuse me and for me when i say that what i think about I think about the way meaning is infused in poetry and sometimes, because of my weird brain, I, I I find other meanings. And I think that's part of why I love hearing, actually hearing poetry being read, because there are so many words that, you know, could have multiple meanings when you don't see the spelling of them, you know, and even in phrases. When somebody talked about something and, and referenced addicts, it's like, are we talking about that space in the top of a house or are we talking about people who are addicted to something? And yeah. in, in this part of the poem, it wasn't actually clear. It could have been either, which I found fascinating. You know, I, I love that, that kind of wordplay really getting us thinking. So I, I like the out loud part of poetry. <laughs> oh yeah, I do too. Um, and with fiction, I, I've seen fiction writers who get up there and do a great job, but if you've got a 20-page story, it's hard to pull off in a reading it out loud. Um, yeah. People are going to drift off a little bit, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, speaking from personal experience, I would say that's how it is for me. <laughs> 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 but I do enjoy readings, and I enjoy actually reading on the pages, I said. So are there certain things that you're working on right now? Like, are, is there a body of work that um, you're creating maybe even in part because of April? Um, well, I'm always working on new poems, so I'm sure I'll have some new stuff by then. <clears throat> I just finished off a uh, portrait collection, uh, 
that I've sent to my publisher. We'll see. I Hopefully, they'll take it. Uh, the, the Sundress, who published my last book. So I don't have a big project in the works right now, but every day I try to write something or at least revise something. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure mm -hmm. after I refresh a little bit, I'll think of another or I'll what more than likely will happen is I'll find I have a group of poems that kind of go together and then I'll start thinking about putting them together as a book. Uh huh. So what what what's your inspiration in terms of writing a new poem? And and I'm thinking about things like, you know, sometimes I'm I talk to people who are saying that that they kind of have a theme, you know, and so they're they're noticing things that that would be ways things to include in poetry that that's going to be part of that theme. Sometimes it's, it's like you've described, I've heard people talk about, you know, and then I looked at some of my work and, and grouped it and realized there were these kind of connections between these sets of poems, even though I hadn't anticipated it. I've talked to people who talk about, you know, how, how words um, or ideas come to them and they have places where they collect those. What, what kinds of things are a part of your process? All of the above, I think. Sometimes you just, it comes to you in a flash. I guess people might want to call it the muse or whatever. And you're like, that's a great idea for a poem. And you sit down and write it and it turns out pretty well. Um, other days, you've got nothing. So you just kind of sit down and start tinkering around and see if something comes. Some days it does, some days it doesn't. Uh, other times, like with my latest collection, um, the one that's that's out now, or that's being sent around now. Um, I looked at the poems I'd written in the last year and realized, man, I was, I'm writing a lot about my mental health. Uh, and I'm, for good reason, I was going crazy, crazier and crazier, for lack of a better word, uh, before I got on my medication. And I noticed a lot of them are really darkly funny, which I like. And I was like, okay, I'm going to put together this book of mental health poems that are kind of funny. Mm -hmm. So I did. I think that's great. Uh, I, I have that belief that laughter is hugely important. And uh, I, I think that's something for us to think about. I, I believe we need to laugh every day and, and not force laugh, but, but see the humor in things, that it's a huge way of getting through things. And, and I, I think we'll continue in that vein after we take this break. And we're going to hear from a couple Lawrence, Kansas businesses that sponsor LawrenceHits.com. And I get to thank Daniel Smith, who's the producer of the show and does all that magical stuff that lets listeners hear these conversations. I'm very appreciative of that. So we will be back in just a minute with more talk with me and my guest today, Daniel Crocker. Thanks. Welcome back to Talk With Me. This is Marsha Epstein and my guest, Daniel Crocker. And we were talking about humor, which I think is very, very important. And it makes me think of lots of people I know who also think it's important. And I love that you're one of those. And so I guess what I'd love first is, would you share another poem? And then we could talk more about humor. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll share one. Um, okay. This is called He-Man, You Schmarmy Bastard. I don't know if everyone knows who He-Man is. I might be showing my age. It was an old cartoon. Maybe you remember. He-Man, You Schmarmy Bastard. You're not fooling anyone. You drug half of us out kicking and screaming. Ram Man, Extendor, Fisto. You have to be kidding me. 
I see the way you and Beastman look at each other, the glances that pass in battle. Don't you have enough going on, what with ruling Eternia, and the way Man-at-Arms' mustache feels fatherly against your cheek? Who wouldn't want to see you soaked in rainwater? Me. I have a fucking skull for a head. No one wants to hang out with a kid who has a skull for a head. Let's put it this way. I didn't get invited to too many parties. What choice did what choice did I have then but to be evil? The gods decided on a whim that I would be your eternal foe, losing, always losing. Could it be that simple? Screw you and that stupid cat you rode in on. Let me into gray skull, you sleek, shirtless barbarian, you beautiful bourgeois man. Let me into motherfucking gray skull, you lovely, lovely bastard. If you know He-Man, it makes a lot more sense, I think. Well, uh, I don't, and so the animosity. <laughs> um, well, let me give you a little background. I'm a bisexual guy, first of all, so we'll just throw that out there when it comes to this poem, because that's kind of what it's about. But the idea I got from one of my oldest and best friends, who is a uh, homosexual man, and he said it was He-Man that helped him realize that he was gay. That was his first crush, was this cartoon. Ooh. Okay. And He-Man is this shirtless, beautiful-looking barbarian, right? Uh, and his enemy is Skeletor, who has a skull for a head. And I was like, what, where does Skeletor fit into all of this? So I thought I'd write something from his point of view and what it's like to kind of be left out of that world of the beautiful people. Oh, okay. And and I love that you threw in there that that this helped your friend realize who he was, you know? I think that's that's wonderful. I, I think that happens a lot, and that that there's that beauty in in whether it's you know cartoons or movies or you know the different things we're exposed to where we get, oh, that's what's going on. You know, it, it's it's a good thing. It's a really good thing. <laughs> Since I've written that poem, I've heard from several gay men who have said that. Oh yes, that He Man was also my first crush. First crush. Uh -huh. so I was like, oh good, I'm glad you could relate yeah. to. Him. <laughs> it's wonderful <laughs> so so you found that it was just pretty natural for you that in this at least in the recent time to to write poems that were darkly humorous which implies that that hasn't always been the kind of writing that you've done do you, do you have something from another time just to to give an idea of some other types of your writing um let's see if i do <laughs> Let's grab a book here and see if I got something kind of older. <laughs> um, I mostly I printed out newer ones. That's okay. That's uh, which okay. are which are mostly kind of darkly funny, at least the ones okay. I've printed out. So. Well, how about another? And we'll continue talking about your writing and all. Cool. Uh, sure. Uh, it's called The Berryman Thud. Um, John Berryman was a poet who uh, suicided by jumping off a bridge to the Mississippi, but he missed the, he missed the water and hit the bank. Um, and this poem came my last manic moment before I got on medication, the one that convinced me, okay, I can't, let's get to the doctor. 
Uh, over something uh, that's kind of weird, as you'll see in the poem. The Berryman Thud. You ever worry about that guy from the Oak Ridge Boys? You know, the one with the giant beard? Certainly, by now, he wishes he could shave it off. One stupid decision made in his early date, because it's just not the real Oak Ridge Boys experience without that beard. Well, I worry about it, man. All that itching, the maintenance, the shampooing alone must take forever. You know, I saw them in concert once. His dead eyes still haunt me. Since then, I'll often lay in bed at night and think about Berryman's final plunge off that bridge. Somewhere up north where the Mississippi River barely exists. Except instead of Berryman, it's that guy from the Oak Ridge Boys. His beard reaches toward the heavens like it has a soul of its own. He's singing Elvira. He doesn't even hit the water, just mud. From what I can tell, and this is all based on body language, like that guy from O'Reilly does. The other three are doing just fine. Look, in the end, I know it's hard to feel sorry for a rich, straight, white guy, but I do. Especially when I think of him laying awake in bed at night, overcome with grief, stroking his beard, and wondering what the hell he's done with his life. <laughs> Again, there you go. <laughs> The poem may be lost on you a little bit. <laughs> I like obscure pop culture, I think. Uh-huh. But well, I was thinking I was thinking not necessarily like obscure because I don't know what's obscure because you know, I grew up in my own weird way, but um the the pop culture and that that makes a lot of sense that that's a huge influence, you know. And so to to be able to to go from there and that makes a lot of sense to me. And so when you're actually writing, like any of these poems you've shared, you know, I, I understand you're saying that the, the Berryman Thud was written in, in a time that, you know, wasn't you at your best. But in general, do you do you kind of sit and the whole poem comes and then, of course, you might edit it some, but is it is it something that is sort of there and it comes out or is it something that that takes a while to, to really figure out where it's going to head. Uh, when the poem comes, it usually comes pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. I, can, I can write one pretty, pretty quickly. Usually it's been stewing in my mind a little bit first, though. Uh -huh. um, but that's only because I've kind of learned to shut off my inner critic while I'm actually writing. The revising can take weeks or months. Um, the actual writing of the poem, 10 minutes maybe, uh, the revision, six months. So okay. So how do you talk about that with your students when you're trying to encourage them to to write, but also to be able to write quality, not just, you know, the easy first off of their pen? I encourage them to write a lot of bad poems because uh well to write a lot. I mean if everything they write is great, I mean they're a genius and that's great. Uh but I encourage them not to be discouraged by bad poems because every poet I know uh, personally, many of them very successful will say that they write more bad poems than good poems. Um, the key comes to being able to separate the two uh, before you start sending out. Well, here's a poem I should send out. Here's one I should just keep in a pile. And maybe there's a good line in here I can use later. Uh -huh. So as you probably know, the, word, the, the danger is you write a poem and as soon as you're done, you think it's great, no matter what. So you've got to let it, at least me, and I encourage my students to do the same thing. You've got to let it sit for at least a couple weeks, then go back and look at it with fresh eyes, and you'll be more likely to see where the faults are at. Mm -hmm. 
So, so intend to spend time with it really is what you're saying is that, you know, create it, then come back and reflect. And then there may be much work to be done or maybe just some tweaks here and there, but, but that you need to be able to really look at it. And, and I know a lot of people talk about and speaking it out loud, really hear how it sounds in addition to what it looks like on the page. I always read everything out loud uh, before I send it out because it's the best way to catch clunky sounding lines, mm -hmm. I think. Um, and I also tell my students that I've, in the past, not, so, not, not anymore because I've learned from it. In the past, when I was younger, I've written a poem, sent it out the next day. It's gotten published. Um, I get the journal back in the mail or whatever. I look at the poem. I'm like, my God, I could have made this so better if I just waited. It's the worst feeling in the wor world. Uh -huh. so I say, don't, you know, just because you're feeling super excited about something, give it a little time. Could be even better. Mm -hmm. And so your experience is that excitement. And I'm, I'm wondering, do a lot of your students relate to that or do some of them? kind of think everything they do is crap and really they're actually getting some good starts to some poetry. I think most of them think at first when they first write something that's really good. Uh, I do have students and most of these students are actually pretty good who thinks everything that they write is crap. Uh -huh. uh, they're being way too hard on themselves, uh -huh. um, which is not necessarily a bad thing for a poet. It's kind of a art where you've got to be a little obsessive about each word counts. Right. And it's okay to think it's not so great and to tinker with it. But I do warn them you can overwork something until yeah. it's just kind of lost its emotional punch. Yeah. Uh, and to be careful of that. Yeah. Because I think that's part of, to me, that, you know, poetry is life. That that some of us have a tendency to be overcritical. Some of us have a tendency to be overconfident. You know? Yes. <laughs> And so we, we need to have some people that we trust to to give us some feedback and let us know if we're kind of in, in the right realm or whether likely we're really skewed in how we're looking at things. And and you know, again, I think about that as as life lessons, not just writing lessons, that that we, we need to have trusted people. We need to have trusted people because we can't necessarily see everything that's going on um, and we, we need to have people that we can trust to be honest with us. And so like for, with your writing, do you have a set of people that are your kind of uh, whatever, however you want to refer to them, but do you have some writing buddies that, that you probably would send something to, to, for them to look at as well? Yeah, I've got about three or four uh, writer friends uh, who will all send each other our stuff and say, does this look okay? Do you notice anything wrong with it? Um, usually at that stage, we're about to the stage where we want to start sending it out. Then we'll send it to each other and say, is this ready? And sometimes the answer is yes. And sometimes it's, well, maybe you should think of this stands a little bit more. Uh -huh. So I think it's really interesting that any kind of art, well, really could get broad and say anything that, that we only know it from our own perspective. You know, I, I know what things look like to me. I know what meaning I make of things. I also recognize that six months from now when, you know, whatever has happened in the interim, I might make really different meaning out of something, you know? Yes, of course. So there, yeah. 
there's no constancy there. And, and to me, that's that's a big challenge. And and it's also to me a thing that speak that that sort of is a is proof of the the quality, the high quality of words is when they do have an even different and very rich meaning in a different context. Yes. And, and I'm a huge fan of art as a way for people to think, uh, to be challenged to think about things. You know, I'm, I'm very much aware, paying attention and when I can spreading the word about different kinds of art um, activism, I will call it that, related to, you know, this upcoming four years. Um, yeah. And I'm, and I'm a huge admirer of that. Um, the things that are like one of the things that I've mentioned this before, but one of the things that was just a sweet thing. And I think it was so needed was um, uh, a friend, a poet in Long Island sent some photos from the New York city subway where uh, poets had left post-it notes and, and the, the concept was for people to write messages of love and kindness, you know, to sort of counter some of the other things that are going on in the world, you know? And, and so there are these, these sweet things like that and confrontational things and all kinds of things in, in our city, um, or excuse me, in, in our capital, um, Topeka, capital of Kansas, that uh, Wednesday there was a, a people's rally and one of the keynotes was uh, a slam poet who shared some some words in that format, you know, as part of that gathering to to get people thinking about what do we need for all people to be safe and healthy in our state. Yes, um, you know, and 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 I love that art is a way to do that. I, I totally agree, um, and I don't know how it is all over the country. I know here in Missouri. I get a lot of students now who've never even read poetry in high school uh, and very little fiction. Uh, when I was a kid, we read some. Um, it wasn't a ton and it wasn't normally by contemporary poets, but we did read and talk about some poetry. Uh-huh. And I think that when you don't do that or you can add any art into here, uh, visual art, music, whatever. Once you start cutting that from school, you're cutting off a window into the rest of the world that moves outside of your own geographical area. It helps build empathy, helps build critical thinking ability. If you can uh, really dig deep into a poem, you can do anything critical thinking wise, I think. Um, But those are skills that are getting lost um, in Missouri, at least. (laughs) (laughs) I like that qualifier in Missouri, at least. (laughs) Well, I don't want to, I don't want to speak for for, college teachers are everywhere but <laughs> do you have other faculty who are also writers do you, do you have a peer group there at your university yeah james brubaker a really good fiction writer and one of my good friends works there uh he does a lot of fiction i do a lot of poetry um we're hiring a new poet so we'll have someone new next year i'm looking forward to that too oh yeah yeah and as we are connected because you will be at the Kansas City Poetry Throwdown, um, I'd, I'd love to hear you talk some about performing and how people, if you have some events coming up in addition to the throwdown, if, if there's a place for people to 
find some of your work, those kinds of things. A little shameless self-promotion here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do a couple in-town readings a year. Uh, This summer, I'll be reading at the uh, Sundress Academy of the Arts, which I'm looking forward to. Of course, the Throwdown, I'm looking really forward to. There's a lot of poets there that um, I've read before and I admire. There's some that I've known through uh, old snail mail back in the day or through uh, (laughs) Facebook or whatever now that I've not met in person. Uh Um, I've met John Dorsey. I've had him on my podcast. Can't wait to see him again. He's a lot Uh of fun. Uh Uh, When it comes to reading in general, I didn't like it for a long time. I didn't like to do it. You've got to do it as a poet. It's the number one way really to sell books. Uh Um, I kind of like it now, uh, but I've gotten better at picking what to read. Um, humor Humor goes over pretty good at reading. As long as people are laughing, you know they're having a good time. Uh-huh. And then you can kind of pull the rug out from underneath them and read something a little depressing to, in yeah. there as well. Yeah. Um, I used to get really nervous about bombing. Now, if I'm doing a reading and I feel like I'm bombing, I kind of will just steer into it because I know the poems are good by now. But uh-huh. This is not my fault. This is the audience's fault. So then I will kind of just read some of the most depressing stuff I've got just to twist <laughs> the knife a little bit. <laughs> You think this is bad? Well, wait till you yeah. see how you feel after you hear this. <laughs> I got that kind of mindset. I can't remember. It might have been Mark Marin. It was some stand-up comedian who talked about uh-huh. steering into the bomb. If you're going to bomb, just do it. And I'm like, that's pretty good advice. I'm going to try that out. And it works. I appreciate when there is diversity in a night of readings in terms of time. Uh, and and when you mentioned John Dorsey, and people will have the opportunity to experience his poetry in person in, at the Throwdown. He, he is this person who, you know, you talk to him and, and he's this delightful person and he gets to the mic with his poetry and he's got this ginormous voice. Oh, he does. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow, I can't get out of my seat now. Give me some humor after that. <laughs> I brought him up here to read at the university and it was kind of a bad day weather-wise. So the crowd wasn't what it should have been. Uh-huh. Uh, but he got up there and kicked ass. It was one of the best readings I had ever seen in my life. It was amazing. Yeah, he's great. And I know he's highly respected. I mean, his name comes up from people I talk to all over the country. So that says a lot about the contemporary poet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's really good about helping other poets out, spreading uh-huh. the word. I mean, he's a really good, I, I'm not sure I love this term, but he's a good literary citizen, if you want to put it that way. Okay. And and those people who bring other people together, uplift other people, and, and I think that's that's one of those things that I admire so much. And and it excites me to have people who are teaching for that reason too. That that there are seeds that get planted, there are relationships that form, um, really positive mentoring. You know, for for people who haven't really experienced being valued, and then maybe writing is one of their gifts. Sure, yes. they're still working on it, but. Then they have this this person, this professor, who's really able to tell them that this is a good thing that they're doing, 
which may not be what they're hearing other places, you know? Yes, that might be the first encouragement they're getting because as a beginning writer, you're going to get a lot of rejections. Uh-huh. Um, and if you're already someone who might feel worthless sometimes or that your stuff's not any good, uh-huh. it can make it worse. Yeah. But I tell my students, you're going to get those rejections when you start out. doesn't mean your poems are bad. Uh-huh. Um, just persistence is uh, underrated in art. Uh-huh. So you'll be at the Throwdown. How did you get connected with the Throwdown? Uh, Jameson asked me last year, and I really wanted to go, uh, but I had to go to a conference for work, so I had to miss it. Uh-huh. Really looking forward to this year. Um, I started out writing uh, and publishing in a lot of the small press zines in the 90s, like Jameson, uh, like John, like some of those other folks. Uh, I took a little bit of a hiatus uh, to drink, uh, and then five or six years ago, got back into the poetry world, was surprised to realize people still remembered me, so I started getting to invited to some stuff, and it's nice. It's nice yeah. that uh, I wasn't totally forgotten. Yeah, yeah. So you'll be in front of and with a lot of people, a lot of peers, and some people that I assume there'll be some people that come to the Throwdown that don't actually write and and are there because it's this cool event. But I know that a lot of people will be there who write, and and are there eager to to meet people that they've read and you know to learn and connect. And I and I and I, that's just a huge wonderful part of that event. So. You've been writing forever. You've been performing some. He said initially didn't like that so much, but now now you've you've gotten the hang of that one too. That it's something that you can make it work, whether it's bombing or whether it's going as well as you had hoped. Yeah, um, yeah. And I wonder, in the last few minutes, would you be willing to share another poem? I will, and I've got an older poem to maybe show you how my uh, style has changed a little bit. Okay. I wrote this on, it was either the day my youngest daughter was born or the day after. It was very close. Uh-huh. So it's been 20, this is a 20 year old poem. So if it's bad, keep that in mind. It's called Ashley's Poem, part one. Before you were born, your mother and I, drunk, dissolved into our dreams, too in love to handle the reality. We wrote in tiny circles, in cliches, so small they fit into the pink of your hand. Then somewhere along that line we changed, freed ourselves from drying muds, from drying mud, and the poets didn't seem as important anymore. And you, growing already somewhere deep and dark, a secret place, I'd visit stumbling my own way through hell. Today, I look at your hands and see my hands. I look into your eyes and see my eyes. I whisper and wonder if you understand. Your mother was never held in a father's arms like this. One second old, I held you. Already time taunts you and falls out of sight. One breath becomes one million. Your father's got a case of the shakes. Part two. The nurses divide us with paper walls. The woman on the other side, another new mother, speaks on the phone. Have you given any thoughts as to what we'll name it? A boy, small as an aspirin compared to you. His brittleness cupped by a dead-faced mother. She tells us, she tells the nurse, She tells anyone who will listen. His daddy better get here soon if he wants to name him. Already the boy is two days old and knows only the burnout smiles of nurses and the empty glare of his mother. She holds her baby like he is a rat. 
no one continues to visit them. Your family walks past her because everyone that visits this room comes for you. I want to grab that no-name boy. I'm your father, I'll say. And this is what it's like to be held in strong arms. This is the smell of aftershave. And this is the feel of stubble on a chin grown old. I will name you. I will name you Messiah. Part three. Ashley, you've already fooled me into believing, again, that youth lasts forever. They took a picture of us today, and someday, when you're angry with me because I don't know what life is like, I will show you this picture, and I will say, look, that was your daddy. He was a black-haired, handsome man, your mother, thin and alive with you. And I will show you this poem and ask that you remember that nameless, tiny boy when I no longer can. I will ask you... Where is the young man that shared a room with you, the one who breathed the first air that you breathed? He is your brother. Now name him. So a little bit different. Yeah, so touching and sad and, and beautiful that it's it's for your daughter, you know? Yeah. That parenting thing is like, oh, yeah. When I read that poem, I think maybe it's a little too sentimental, but come on, yeah, it's my daughter. It's, it's allowed to be a little sentimental. Absolutely, absolutely. There are wonderful poems about by parents about their kids and wishes, and and I think about you know hopefully you'll meet him at the throwdown. Um, a, a poet from Lawrence, Topher Anna King, who has a young daughter who's now Francesca's about three and a half right now, and he was a single parent, and and his his daughter went with him everywhere and so francesca has grown up at the mic oh, wow. <laughs> performing poetry you know first just as a babe in arms and then as somebody who was also sharing words and sometimes this the parts of her dad's poems and sometimes it was her own words that she needed to share you know and it's delightful and it's it's just that you know that that tangible, you know, seeing them together at a mic at a poetry performance is, is that, you know, total love and adoration both ways. And it's like, that's the way we should all get to grow up. <laughs> that's really amazing. Yeah, That's a great story. Yes. And so we truly are at the end of this show. I'm, I'm really touched by your openness about your life. You know, that I do think that is something that, that many, poets and other artists do sometimes not as as directly as you did and i think it gives power to other people to go okay here's this guy and he shared this about himself and this about himself and you know and he's teaching and he's got a, these degrees and he's doing this good stuff and it's like wow you know maybe that can be part of where my life heads too that's that's really a huge gift Thank you. I, I feel like, and not to get political, I feel like that now is not the time to be silent about things. Right. But, okay. I'm totally with you. Yeah. And so that writing books, re going to readings, again, we encourage listeners April 21st through 23rd at Prospero's Books in Kansas City, Missouri, this whole weekend of poetry. It's, it will be amazing and wonderful. You can find out more about some of the people, including Daniel, who will be performing there um, on the Facebook page, Kansas City Poetry Throwdown, or on the Spartan Press website on their page for the Throwdown. Um, 
it's just a great thing to be part of, to experience so much appreciation for poets being willing to come in from all over. Listeners, when you go to the Throwdown, please come with money to buy books. <laughs> it's it's a great thing to, to take away some of those books with signatures when you've heard somebody read their works. So, Daniel Crocker, thank you so much for being a guest on Talk With Me. Listeners, I know you enjoyed it. Um, and there will be more, more poets from the Throwdown who will be coming up in the next few months. <laughs>